Final hour of the Fan Morning Show on this Wednesday morning, which means it's the final hour to tee up game four, round two. The Toronto Maple Leafs and Florida Panthers. Reminder to get your wake and rake selections in. We will do that at 8.30 after Dan Schulman joins us. But for now, one last guest to talk about the Maple Leafs prior to what could be their final game of the season. That is our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Our insider is Mike Rupp, former Stanley Cup champion or always Stanley Cup champion. There's no former once you win a Stanley Cup and current NHL network analyst. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, guys. You ready to do this? You ready? Do you really want to talk about the Leafs right now before tonight's game? Where are we at? How are we doing? Yeah, we do. You know what? I've been getting my licks in on these guys for a couple of days, and quite honestly, it feels a little cruel at this point. So we thought, who better than you, Mike Rupp, to get some licks in (laughs) on this Leafs core? You were doing it before it was popular. I know the answer to this question, but I'm just going to put it on a tee for you. Are you at all surprised by what you've seen in the second round, Mike Rupp? Hey, I want to give them some credit here. I I am a little surprised to be honest, because I thought (laughs) that they were, I thought that they were different now. And I I think that that's the thing that, again, a very tough spot for them to be in, um, but it's not over yet. All those cliches that you want to say, um, this team, this team, I, I just thought was was different, and everything that they've done, and the, I felt like at different stages of the season, you know, they've had their moments where I was like, oh, this is the same Leafs, but they were way more moments of, oh, this team is different. Okay, here we go. And, and the roster moves that were made, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, the, this was the first time I really said I love the moves that Kyle Dubas made. I think this is going to help this hockey club out in the playoffs. Um, and then we start seeing some of the, some of the things that are happening. And, and I just, I don't think it stops to the Leafs, to be honest with you. I think it's, I've been kind of beating this drum a little bit uh, for the last probably year plus. I, I find that there's a lack of game management in the NHL um, game awareness I think there's one way that a lot of players nowadays play and it's just for that next goal and you know not not really making reads in games that is appropriate for the time of the game or the, and, and for the bigger outcome of the game and I feel like there's situations where the Leafs get caught up in that I think a lot of teams are but I just think that the other day the overtime goal that to me just kind of nailed it on a, on the head like I I just I don't understand how that play happens. I, I just really don't. I don't. I don't want to sit here and just bury on this Leafs team, but I, I just can't fathom that happening. It's just sometimes it's about just getting in the way of the opponent, and just you don't have to get a big hit. You don't have to be overly physical. Just get in the way, and then overtime of a of a series that you're down two zero in Game Three, and I, I think that that's just a snapshot. It's just it, it just gets to that moment where. The game management, the game situation, the urgency—it just—it just doesn't seem like there's another level with this group, and, that, and that's alarming to me. And, and that's why I think this team's down three nothing. So, if game management is sort of the fatal flaw here, and I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I, I think you know the way the series has played out. I think tactically, from the coaching standpoint, in game one, it was a major issue. Then the game management and puck management and the mistakes were really the thing that carried the day in a game two loss. 
And then I think tentativeness and maybe the overtime is best representative of that in game three was obviously a massive, massive issue. And now they're down 0-3. But if it's about game management and like just doing checkpoint A to checkpoint B and getting through shift to shift, like where, where does that fatal, like who deserves blame for that fatal flaw manifesting itself? Like who does that fall on when you're failing at basic game management? All right, so I don't think it's all game management. <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's another level, and 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 this is, I'm 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 a huge, I I love Mitch Marner. I was saying for year uh, for a few years there when Austin Matthews came in, he was doing his thing, and and I know Mitch Marner's been kind of up and down in the Toronto media over the years, um, over different situations of maybe his production, or whatever. But I've, I thought this is a guy that drives offense. He does so many different things. He does so many things that I love about Mitch Marner. He he's in kill penalties. He he can do the situational play that he's used. He's not just a, a pretty face for points, right? Um, but I think that what we're starting to see in in these playoffs and in the in the past few years in the playoffs, and I think a perfect example right now is you have superstars on this Toronto Maple Leafs team. The the big four. They're stars and they're superstars. And we see with other players, and I think we, what we learn about some of these athletes, whether you're a fourth liner, a first liner, the sixth defenseman, or the first defenseman in the D pair, you have, you have to find another level come playoff time. Do you have another level? And that level may look a little different. It may feel different. But can you find a way, and it's like that, that killer instinct, that cold-bloodedness, can you find another level? And when it's fine, another level, it's, you see it in the, in the greats, Sidney Crosby. I played with him in Pittsburgh. This guy is, he's the face of hockey and he was for so many years. He'll rip your face off. Like, I'm not kidding. Like he will in practice to steal the, if you steal the puck away from him, if you're fortunate enough to do that, <laughs> he will battle you. And at that time of year, it's a different mode. It's a different human, you know, um, we've seen it with Nathan McKinnon's got that. I think we're starting to see Connor McDavid get that just with just a different level of angst come playoff time. Leon Dreisaitl has that. I'm seeing Jack Hughes do it right now. Like Jack Hughes has this different level of competitive nature. My concern here, and I love the big four, which one of them have that, have that killer instinct, have that cold bloodedness. I, I don't know if they do. I don't know if it's something that they have in them to kind of just, you know, have that. Do they care? Absolutely, think they care, but I just don't know if they're wired that way. I don't. And, and when you when you look at a franchise that has that much talent, and all four guys kind of don't have that other level, I'm concerned. I'm concerned there. Maybe it's maybe it's not just the individuals. They're good players. They're they're solid players. At some point, that wasn't. You know, I know John Tavares came from another organization, but at some point, that's not that's not taught. That's not you know, drawn out of them and you get into the playoffs and you're not getting it. And, and it's, it's tough because they're super talented, but you can't, you can't change that. You can't get that dog mentality by making a trade or two. Like that's institutionalized from the beginning. Fan morning show, Brent Cutting, Justin Cuthbert here talking to Mike Rupp. Uh, I think I just heard a click sound, but I think we still have Mike Rupp uh, on the line with us. You, you, you mentioned it there. The idea of they have tried so hard to put it on this team, surrounding it with guys like Joe Thornton or Patrick Marlowe, or you see it now with Ryan O'Reilly and Enola Chari. And I just go back to what you just said there. I don't know that you can 
put it on the outside of the core to do that. It has to come from the key players on your roster. And, you know, just looking at the big picture with this team, how can you continue to go about it if you, how can you continue to go about it with this group? If the thing that you need to get it done at this time is killer instinct or however you want to phrase it, and this group doesn't have it, how do you go about it then? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt like coming into this postseason, um, you know, I, that this was kind of the last run with this group, and you can kind of take that wherever you want as far as what, it, what does that mean? Is that, the, is, that the, is that the core four? Is that the coach? Is that the GM or, or whatever? I, I don't know to what totality that I, I mean that, but it's – this is a this is a team where okay if they would have lost in round one again we know there would have been sweeping changes right but you know even if you get round two like they're in now and if they lose in round two I mean I, I just think that you're getting to a point now and we also know that you got you got two pretty big contracts coming up here you got one in Austin Matthews who I think will be if not the highest paid player in the league for that stretch until Connor gets his next deal. Or right, right there, and he should be. Like he, I, I think he's that he, he's that good. And I and I love Austin Matthews' game. Um, as far as he's a, he's a superstar. Um, I, I don't love it come playoff time at, at times. Or I don't I don't love some of the the extra umph like the stuff I talked about before. But as far as talent, I, I think he's the best goal scorer in hockey. And um, so you got that contract coming up, and then you've got the one Willie Nylander who. That guy's underpaid, and he he's been underpaid, and he's going to get paid. And you've got to figure out kind of where you're going. This this team's shaping can change dramatically in the next little bit, and there's some decisions that have to be made. Um, I, I wonder where it goes. I, I don't know where it goes. I still think this is a group that there's a lot there. But again, to go back to what we we said, I mean, I don't know if adding a few pieces is really changing. I think it's, it's something that just is lacking in that group overall. So um, yeah, big time change. I I think that that would have to mean um, GM coach would be probably the starting point. And then you got to make and pick and choose your players there, which ones you're moving forward with and, and which ones you're not. And the worst thing is, like, it has to happen so fast. I mean, we're counting less than seven weeks before maybe the last game and before July 1 when all these no-movement clauses kick in. Matthews can sign a new contract. Uh, it's pretty th- – I mean, what's in front of this organization is pretty, pretty um, – uh, terrifying, honestly, uh, just, just to put it that way, because there is so much to accomplish with so little certainty at this moment. And w- with those decisions in mind, Mike, like how instructive is tonight? I mean – does tonight mean more than 99 points in the regular season for Mitch Marner? Does tonight mean more than 60 goals last season from, for Austin Matthews? Like, are you going to be making decisions based on tonight or do you throw this, you know, what we see really out with, with the situation, which is a team that just wilted or was not good enough to beat a Florida Panthers team. Like when you look at tonight, when you look at individual performances, do you see consequences or potentially the, the opposite of that, where you can prove yourself to be a member of this organization moving forward. If you do not wilt in this situation. I think that's a great point. And I don't know if they come back in this series in my mind, I think that they've, they will they will be kicking tonight. They will be kicking and screaming and do their best to to 
to get a win in this series, to get that taste out of their mouth, um, it's they will they will be they will be good. I think they'll come out uh, like a bunch of wild banshees early on in this game, and they'll be moving. And when this team moves and they play, they're, they're very tough. The problem is, is when you make them uncomfortable, that's where they they're not good anymore. You know, and, and the good teams and the good players, the the, the great players, even the non great players, they they find a way to to contribute when it doesn't feel great. It's they're uncomfortable. And I think that this is a situation in this game. I don't know what it means for the series, except you win a game. You maybe invo- avoid the embarrassment of a sweep. But I also think that you, yeah, I mean, you've got some very daunting and, and tough decisions to make. And if you've got, uh, if you've got a player that's showing life and showing some desperation. And I think it goes a long way in the game like this. Even if you lose, even if you lose a series four games to one, at least you can be like, I saw something. There's something in there. Like we, They're going to move forward with some of these guys, and they should. They've got a great core of talent, but it's going to be more than talent. Who's got – I need to see something. I need to see the look in some of their eyes of some sort to know that this is a guy – we can get more out of it. We, we saw it here. And uh, I think that you're, yeah, it's a, it's a complete judgment process this entire time. And, and not just there. I mean, whether or not this GM is back, whether this coach is back, whatever management group you're talking about, I mean, people are watching right now. People want to see what kind of response those, the big four have and the team in general in this moment. And um, I think as an individual, as a player, and man, I, you want to put it out there. The hockey world's watching some sort of response, and let's see if they've got it. What's the importance of a of a captain in in all of this? You know, you mentioned Crosby. Obviously, he is a he is a one of one in terms of what he's accomplished, where he will be if there's a hockey Mount Rushmore. He he's on it alongside you know Wade and, and Howe or whoever else you you want to put up there. But you know, you also I, if I go back to Jersey, I want to say that was Scott Stevens, and then I'm forgetting who the captain would have been. You went on a pretty pretty lengthy one run with New York. What's the importance of a captain in you know these dark moments? You know, I'm not saying it got as dark as Oh, down 0-3, but you would have had some moments where your backs were against the wall in, in those runs. What's the importance of a captain in, in all of that? And are there different ways to do it? You know, we, I think a lot of people think a captain has to be when your team's down 3-0, screaming and ripping paint off the wall and yelling. And we all know John Tavares. It's probably not going to be the way he goes about it. How important is the captain's role in this? And are there different ways to kind of be a great one? Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's different ways. I mean, you mentioned Scott Stevens. Um, he was pretty quiet leader. He led by example, and and and, and he went out there and, and 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 did it. And I think that that you know leading by example is important for every single captain. To to you can't talk it unless you're doing it. And uh, I think John Tavares. It seems to fall under that kind of. He doesn't seem like much of a raw raw guy. It's just. No, he's just that uh, you, you got to have a voice of reason at times. And these, if you're having a players only meeting, a, a meeting in these times where it looks pretty uh, like a pretty tall task to come back. And um, but then you also need a, you know, it doesn't just fall on the captain. I think it's the other players on the team too. And this is why I really wonder in a situation like with an O'Reilly or some of these guys that you, you trade for. And this is where it gets tough too because you come into a place. Be, Ryan O'Reilly's highly revered in, in that locker room across the league, deservingly so. I mean, this guy's awesome. And but it's like it's a weird spot because as a veteran, I've switched teams. I've been on playoff runs. And I was in 
I was in New York with the Rangers in 2012, and it's like you don't want to like you're you kind of because you're a leader on another team or you had a role or you've been around for a long time with another team. It's it's a it's a tough spot to to pipe up and to say something, but you know you got to have a little bit of everything from everyone in the lineup, and, and that's the, that's the thing that I think in playoffs and that, that I'm talking about. And the one thing I love about it, like, look for an example, Jordan Martinook in in uh, Carolina. And if you remember the, the viral clips of, remember how we used to announce uh, Svechnikov before games? And he used to mm-hmm. you know, kind of do that call. And uh, we used to laugh about it, get chuckles about it. Um, so he's, he has an A on his sweater. He's clearly a leader on that team because he's got that letter. He kept the boys loose the way you get everybody fired up and announce Svechnikov's name. Uh, we're watching the playoffs. He got nine points in four games right now in this round for, for Carolina. And he's a guy that is just, what do you need? What do you need from me? I can find another level. And we're seeing that right now. And I think it, it goes throughout the Leafs lineup. Like if, if I'm a player there, uh, leadership right now is, is showing you got another level. And, um, you know, it's, it's not always, you know, did wouldn't have said, you know, something you you would tell by looking at him. You could tell by the look in his eye. You can tell by the way his, his shifts are going, um, that, that he was ready, that, he, you know, and then there's some captains that'll, that'll say things. They, it's, um, I, yeah, it's just everybody. It's it's a, a cumulative. Everyone's got to find another level right now if you're Toronto, and we'll see if you can live the fight another day. Yeah, I've wondered about Ryan O'Reilly finding his voice in this locker room. Because... I wonder, just jumping in, I wonder how much of it was he was hurt. He got here. He was hurt. How can you? How yeah. can you pipe up when you're not playing? Yeah, and, and honestly, I don't like. I don't think it's an issue. Like I think we've seen the leadership. His moments in front of the media are impressive. I'm sure he's been uh, vocal in the room. But he's also you have to contrast that against the you know the John Tavares robotic type who's not rah rah whatsoever and might have a couple lines to deliver to the room, but wouldn't be you know expected to do much beyond that. And I think like. That finding your place, maybe that's like the micro level thing with Ryan O'Reilly coming in. But I think it does, you know, there's a macro thing going on here too because this was, I call it an inorganic build, this Maple Leafs team. It's like exclusively the core four surrounded by players from other teams that have come in and have played a role. Like Callie Yarncroak being this being a a free agent addition and then Giordano coming in at the deadline and a bunch of deadline guys this year. Are there issues when it comes to team building with an inorganic build, when it doesn't just come up together, when these pieces are just kind of mishmashed in place, like is it hard to form a proper team dynamic when a team is built through means other than, Hey, draft development and you're all coming up together. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's, I mean, the other team, other teams have done it. Other teams do it. Um, you know, it's not something that, that, that can't be done. Um, and again, that kind of goes back to what I, uh, I, I was mentioning before. It's like, I, I just find that I, I guess to summarize my, my look of the lease over the last number of years, uh, it goes back to Kyle Dubas made good moves this year, like really, really solid moves that I thought were exactly what this organization and this team needed to put them in the best place to beat Tampa Bay in round one and to be positioned to go on a run. His moves were good, very good. But here's the thing that I keep, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. In my mind, I'm like, why did it take so long to get to this? You know, and over the years, and it's a process. It's a process that everyone has to experience. Sometimes you got to experience it together. Sometimes you can experience it on other teams. 
about what it takes to win in the in the playoffs. And I feel like this franchise, even though they had all those good moves now this year, it took them a while to get here. And there were some wasted years of wasted moments where that process was was stunted a little bit. It was it was I mean, some of these things that we're seeing right now and that, that, that maybe need to be addressed or to learn throughout time is it, they should have happened already. But the, the 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 excuse before, which was a valid excuse, was the roster isn't ready. Because we don't get me wrong, we've seen these players, the core four, produce in the playoffs at times. You know, like even in those first round losses, we've seen them be good at, at times. But I don't know if they've learned what it means to go on a long playoff run, what that next level is, because what has kind of let them down is depth or goaltending, or there's always been that excuse, you know what I mean, as this other thing. And so I think that that's where I'm at with this team. It's like, yes, they made the right moves now. What do you do with the group moving forward if they're eliminated from the playoffs? That's to be determined. But at the same rate, I feel like you wasted a lot of clock on this group. And those contracts that you're talking about, we're starting to get to that moment now where decisions need to be made. And how do you evaluate it when I just, this was the first year that it was built, I think, properly. And here we are down 03. You know, I, that, that's kind of the summary for, uh, with the, or at least what I think with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hey, Mike, we uh, definitely appreciate the time and the perspective this morning. Uh, let's do this again before the Stanley Cup's awarded, okay? Awesome. Thanks, guys. Anytime. That's Mike Rupp, Stanley Cup champion and NHL Network analyst. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. So a couple things jumped out to me. One thing, this is actually something I've been I've been hammering home forever, is that the Leafs, well, I mean, I'm about to say it makes it sound like I've been a hobby horse of mine for a while. The Leafs now are paying for the faults of the loss against Columbus and the loss against Montreal. I firmly believe, and it doesn't work for everyone, Alexis Lafreniere is exhibit A, that it does not work for everyone. But you win at least a little. You don't have to win a cup, but win. Just get used to the idea of when the playoffs roll around, I win. It changes you into a different player. David Pasternak would not become 60 goal, 11 and a half sheets a year, David Pasternak, if he got drafted by the Jackets and he wasn't surrounded by Marchand and Bergeron and that serial culture of winning and all that. And I firmly believe in my heart of hearts, if the Leafs would have pushed past Montreal or they would have got past Columbus, there would have been lessons learned and not just, oh, we need to try harder, but actually there's a reason to try harder because it benefits you. I actually think that is what's kind of holding this group back is that they don't have the muscle memory of getting it done. They don't have the muscle memory of things working out at this time of year. And the actual proof is in the pudding nature of getting it done. They can have it preached at them a thousand times that you need to check harder. You need to be harder on sticks or you need to be more in tune with your game plan, whatever you want to play off cliches, but until they actually see it work, why would they believe it? Why would that lesson take hold? So I think that's the thing. And then the other thing that jumped out to me as well was what, uh, what Mike mentioned was the idea of it might seem like a little thing of Martin Nook doing the crazy, the crazy intros for all the lineup or the lineup reading in Carolina. We see this from a lot of teams. You ever seen a video like that from the Leafs? Does that matter? Probably not, but 
is, are they maybe too tight at times? Probably they are. And I wonder how much of that now they could be doing it behind the scenes and just never let it see it. That'd be weird for a team that puts out a video. That's three minutes long after every time they win a game. So I don't think that's the case, but I honestly do wonder, is it just a group that's a little too tight? Who's fun in there? Maybe Joe Thornton does need to come back. I don't know. Yeah, I think it is a good point because yeah, you can look at Jordan Martinook before a game having a moment of levity, and it's and it's and it's a real thing for them to just like laugh and have fun about. I, I do think this team, while I'm sure it has its moments of fun, in these moments, everyone's just looking towards the big four. Yep. Right. Everyone's just looking for someone to take a hold of this thing. It's not about hey, just playing your own little role and helping you in a in a, in a small way. It's looking over like. Michael Layton might have done and seeing Chris Pronger and knowing. Mm-hmm. And in this case, everyone's looking and they're not sure what they're seeing. I, I do think that's that's a big thing with this group. Um, round two, it's a big night for round two because I think round two has been a bit of a disappointment. And if we don't get a Massive. pair of Canadian teams winning games tonight, then round two is definitely going to be a disappointment because sure. if the Leafs lose, we know the result. And the Edmonton Oilers, if they fall behind 3-1 in their series versus Vegas and then have to go to Vegas, they're in a lot of trouble as mm-hmm. well, despite all that firepower. So round two can be rescued tonight on Sportsnet with the Leafs and Panthers and then the Oilers and Golden Knights. Uh, we have Dan Shulman after the break. A little Blue Jays catch up. It's our weekly duty as long as the Leafs are dominating the narrative, which they are right now. We will do that after the break. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Brent Gunning this morning. Reminder to get your wake and rake selections in. We will do that before we get off the air in just under a half hour's time. Until we get to that, though. Let's bring in our next guest, Dan Schulman, Sportsnet's Blue Jays play-by-play announcer and one of our favorites. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. How are you, Justin? Uh, we are pretty good this morning. Uh, Alec Manoa, though, that slider ain't good. Um, is it like one of uh, baseball's great mysteries right now? What's happening with that pitch and that pitch specifically? I think so. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing separating him from being the guy he was the last couple of years. And this is now seven starts into the season. And it doesn't appear as if they're any closer to an answer, you know, and everybody's saying all the right things. Right. But um, he's, you know, he's laboring out there in games and I'm sure you guys have seen it. I mean, he's not throwing it in the zone as much. He's not getting as much swing and miss. He's not getting as much chase. He just doesn't able to be uh, seem to be able to command the slider like he normally has. And that's his put away pitch more often than not. You know, I think his fastball, both fastballs have been fine. And his changeup was always his fourth pitch anyways. But you take anybody's number one weapon away in there, they're going to have a tough time adjusting. You know, as always, you give him credit for the competitor that he is. And, and But between the slider not working as much and then just kind of the extra base runners, right? He's walking a lot more guys than he did the last couple of years. It, it's yeah, you look up and it's four and two thirds or five innings, a hundred pitches, and and the end of the night. And it's um, you know he uh, they're back to the drawing board, I guess. Like we're not privy to what goes on between starts and what they're trying to work on, but it's still a mystery. 
Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, you know, there's been some theorizing that the pitch clock has kind of, you know, messed with this process a little bit, and a lot of people in baseball are dealing with that. But when it's just one pitch that's being affected as much, you have to think there's maybe something else at play. Uh, you know, the good news for the Blue Jays, and we'll talk to you in a second about Gosman, the guy who gets the ball today, but the good news for the Blue Jays is that the back half has been able to kind of pick up the top. You, It was so much the other way around uh, last season. It's been nice to see the, the back end kind of returning the favor, obviously, at the forefront of that is the uh, kind of resurgence I guess of Yusei Kikuchi. How much are you buying what we've seen from him and and then I'll include uh, Barrios and Bassett in as well this year. So I, I think Bassett is going to be rock solid exactly what they thought he was going to be. The first start obviously was not great. He gave up two home runs on the first three pitches and gave up nine runs but ever since then it's like a, a steady line of six, six and a third, seven uh, and anywhere from zero to two or three runs. So I, I think they've got exactly what they wanted, which was a middle of the uh, middle of the rotation innings eater. Um, Barrios and Kikuchi very uh, encouraging, obviously. Kikuchi I didn't think was at his best, and we found out after the game that he was sick. And I think it's the same thing that George Springer has been dealing with for like ten days. This has been kind of going through the clubhouse since late March, I think. Danny Jansen had it, Adam Simber had it, Matt Chapman had it. Some of the coaches had it. Um, so you give Kikuchi a lot of credit for what he did out there his last time out. I, I think he's going to be fine. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, a guy you, that you want to throw in game one or two of a playoff series because his. I know his walks are way down, but like last time it was a great pitch and then a non-competitive pitch and a great pitch and a non-competitive pitch. When I, I don't know that he's ever going to be a pinpoint command guy, but his stuff is so good, he can be pretty good even if he's not pinpoint command. So I definitely buy that this is a – better version of Kikuchi than last year and he can be a fine capable contributor in the rotation Barrios I'm a little more bullish on to be honest with you I was one of those who was kind of baffled by what was going on last year and why he gave up so much hard contact time after time it's like he couldn't get away with a mistake Um, this year I think he's mixing his pitches better I think he's locating better and I think his stuff is good enough to be good Uh, again is he a game one starter who knows but but I think um, if, if those are your four and five, I'd put those four and five up against just about any other team in baseball. And listen, they're spending a lot of money on those guys to be fours and fives, right? So they should be good. But, um, yeah, I think the back end of the rotation is, um, is doing its job. If they can just get Manoa sorted out, like, you know, Gosman's going to be great. He'll have a blip every now and again. But other than that, he'll be great. If they can just get Manoa sorted out, I think the rotation's in really good shape. Yeah, boy, does it ever simplify things, too. I mean, if we're talking about trade deadline, if we're talking about bolstering this roster over the course of the season, if you just don't have to worry about the starters, if even if Manoa is still battling through it, I mean, he has all the time in the world, really, to work this out because you have fourth and fifth starters who are not pitching like fourth and fifth starters around Major League Baseball. So that's definitely one of the best uh, developments to start this Blue Jays season. Uh, You mentioned Springer uh, and the illness. Uh, You know, we've kind of seen both him and Vlad, you know, uh, enter or at least involve themselves in the maintenance program happening with the Blue Jays. And they're interesting, right? Like Vlad has been like the, the picture of durability and Springer's had his issues, obviously. But is there a strategy that we're seeing maybe specifically with not necessarily, you know, injuries and illnesses that you lump under one, uh, uh, you know, blanket. Uh, uh, it, they're, they're definitely different situations. But do the Blue Jays have a different outlook when dealing with players that are dealing with certain things? And do, are we going to see more of these little chunks of maintenance to help maybe the bigger picture thing and keeping everyone healthy as they've been throughout the course of the season so far? 
I think this is kind of different. Like, yes, they do have a maintenance program, and we've seen it. Kiermaier plays like three out of four. Laddie DHs sometimes. Springer DHs sometimes and gets the very occasional day off. Merrifield doesn't quite play every day. To me, that's the maintenance program. What's going on now, like, like Springer is sick, like really sick. And he's been um, he's kind of been a ghost in the clubhouse before the games. And when you ask people quietly, they say, like, he's really fighting it. And it's been like nine, ten days. If, if I'm not mistaken, I think he missed the first game in Boston. That was the first game of the road trip. Yeah. Like, that was nine days ago. And he clearly isn't right. So I, I don't put the, the Springer situation. Like, Springer to me is different. I, I don't know. They, they're saying it's a viral illness. I don't, I don't know what that means. And, again, they're saying it's kind of the same thing that's been running around the clubhouse for about six weeks now. But... Um, Should he be so around he, the like, clubhouse then? Like what? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, like he has. I haven't seen him much, honestly. Like uh, on a on a road trip, you see the guys a lot because there's only a handful of media here, and usually the visiting clubhouses are smaller, and the facilities are smaller, and there are fewer places for the players to go. Like at home, they got a million places at, at the Rogers Center to go. So um, you haven't seen a whole lot of of George Springer uh, before the game when when I've been down there. Vladdy, um, again, I don't think that's maintenance. Like, he felt something on a swing, and he had soreness in his wrist. So they were cautious, and they sat him out for a couple of games. And the best news of all, you know, yesterday wasn't a great day, obviously, but the best news of all was Vladdy was back in the lineup. But in terms of the overall maintenance program with Springer, Merrifield, Kiermaier, uh, Vladdy a little bit in terms of DHing, I think they're, they're going to keep doing it. I think they believe that giving guys rest, certain guys, uh, is going to keep them healthier over the course of the year and maybe stay away from the quads and the hamstrings and the abdominals and, and, and stuff like that. And, and you know what? They have been a very healthy team so far. So, so far, so good. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said, Springer is a different scenario with this. This isn't maintenance. This is something viral. But you look at what the version of George Springer you had, not so much right. in the postseason, but getting to the postseason, and you don't want to don't want to put yourself in, in that position just with how important he is uh, to this team. You know, you mentioned Vladdy there, obviously, out of the lineup uh, for a couple of games over, over the weekend. Didn't slow down the offense much. Uh, what do you think or what have you made of the kind of new look Blue Jays offense that we've seen, you know? There was a lot made of the difference to the defense and a more athletic team, but you look at the lineup, it's a little more left-handed. There's a little less of a two big boppers in the middle with the Oscar Hernandez no longer being there. Do you think that Vladdy's importance, not to say he's any less important, but it's just kind of changed uh, with him being maybe even more so this year with the lack of other power bats and not to say there aren't talented hitters surrounding him in the lineup, but when you look at just kind of a pure bopper, it feels like he's maybe the only one they have left with the Oscar being gone. How, how do you think that changes, if anything, Vladdy's approach this year? I don't think it does much, to be honest with you. And, and um, uh, you know, like Dalton Varsho hit more home runs last year than Teoscar Hernandez hit. That's the funny part. So like, <laughs> He doesn't yes, feel like they, it, but you're right, Dan. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. And right now, is Dalton Varsho overall the caliber of hitter of Teoscar Hernandez? Maybe, maybe not. Well, you know, we can figure that out. At the end of the year, you know, Varsho's younger and probably still growing. And uh, whenever the Blue Jays get to play home games, he'll get to play games in a, in a very good hitter's environment. So, um, you know, I, I think Varsho, we look up at the end of the year and look at how hot he's been lately, right? I think he's going to have a very good year. They don't have as much thump in the lineup this year, but I think that's mostly because Springer is scuffling. And the catchers aren't hitting like they did last year. Like the Blue Jays got a ton of offense out of Kirk and Jansen 
last year, and they're not getting that so far this year. You know, little bursts here and there. Remember the first half Espinal had last year, and he made the all-star team. Espinal uh, is not hitting. So I think the reason that they have less thump right now is some of the existing guys just aren't thumping like they normally did. Um, I, I think the catchers will get better. That stands to reason. Like, they've both got enough of a track record that I think and, – and Kirk's not doing badly. He's just not doing what he did in the first half of last year. So I think last year they were – you know, like second or third in slugging and OPS right now, and and now they're more like in the ten to thirteen range. I think that'll improve. I don't know if if it'll be quite at the level um, that they were at last year, but I think they put most of their energy into other things, like you talked about. Like their base running is night and day from last year, like not even close. Um, their outfield defense is night and day from last year, and I think what they're hoping with the acquisitions of Bassett and Swanson is that the pitching will be better. And, and another sneaky little area where I think they're better is bullpen depth. Not starting depth, because that's thin uh, down at Buffalo, but bullpen depth. Like right now, they've got Adam Simber, Zach Pop, and Mitch White on the IL. And it's an interesting conversation to figure out. Let's say they're all ready to go in the next two, three weeks. What happens? Like it's an interesting conversation. Uh, you know, Nate Pearson has been good um, uh, for the most part since he's come up. Does I don't think they want to send them back down. You know, they just called up Jay Jackson, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they put more of their energy into run prevention. And even if they knew they were going to take a bit of a hit on the offensive side, I think they thought they would be an overall better team. And, and I agree with them. I, I thought this offseason was really good in terms of addressing some weaknesses that they had last year. So we got a little window into Matt Chapman's thought process over the weekend. He told Sports Illustrated on a potential extension that he knows both parties want to make something happen. So I guess on the Blue Jays' end, uh, what will they have to do in order to make something happen? Uh, offer him so much money that, <laughs> uh, that he's uh, he signed. So, so um, you know, it's, it's a thin free agent class uh, this year. It's a very thin free agent class of third basemen. And you know what? Good for Matt Chapman. I mean, he's having a, a great year at a great time uh, for him and his family. I think he's very happy in Toronto. And I know oh, something's going on here in the square in Philadelphia. I don't know what that was. And 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 I <laughs> and I know that they're yeah yeah. I know they're very happy with him. Like they love him, obviously. And and you know we've all seen it—the work ethic and the leadership and what a teammate he is and all that stuff. So. Um, uh, what what would have to happen? I think they'd have to make him an offer to blow uh, that blows him away. You know, because he's so close to free agency. Uh, why not check it out at, at at this point? I don't know what the numbers are. He just turned thirty. You know, are you talking about a five year deal? I mean, I mean, is it a five year, hundred and fifty million dollar deal? I, I have no idea, really. That's not an area where I'm very good at, at uh, estimating or guessing what it would be. Um, it, it is interesting though because. A lot of other guys are getting more expensive. Laddie's going up year by year. Bo's going up year by year. Romano and Manoa are going to start going up year by year. And there's there's some money coming off, but you've got, let's see, uh, two more of Bassett, three more of Gosman, uh, three more of Springer. Um, you know, the guys who are coming off are like Hyunjin Ryu who's coming off. And at the end of this year, who knows what they do with Belt and Kiermaier and Merrifield. So um, it, it's not a bottomless pit, and you gotta you got to figure out 
what your priorities are. But I, I know they'd love to have him back. But at this point, it, it, it seems unlikely to me that something gets done before mm. he goes to free agency. Yeah, I would second that. Outside of somebody saying, would you like a kajillion dollars for 10 years? Right. Would that, would that right. work for you, Matt? Uh, other than that, yes. I imagine that's how it's going to play out as well. And, you know, you mentioned Vladdy there. Obviously, he is the big fish salary-wise that you're still kind of waiting, not waiting for, but that is the piece of the pie you need to save a big piece of pie for. And then Bichette, obviously, it's nice to have some certainty with his Arbiers taken care of, but that's only going to make the next deal more expensive that you're not eating uh, into any of them. So, a uh, well, I was about to say a fun conversation to have, but uh, not this winter. Uh, Matt Chapman's wearing a, a different a different uniform. Uh, just quickly, you mentioned the pen there. Uh, Eric Swanson put in an awful spot last night, did about as well as you could to get out of it relatively unscathed, gives up the one hit, but then strikes out a couple. Just we, we mentioned, obviously, that's one of the biggest trades the Jays made this offseason and him for T. Oscar Hernandez. Uh, what do you think they've got in that? And then we talked about the pen, but just specifically the back end of it. How's your confidence there with him and Romano and uh, Garcia as well, I guess? I, I think Swanson's been great. Like you said, coming in bases loaded, nobody out is an incredibly difficult situation. And, and um, so they were down five to four going to that inning and Trevor Richards came back out for his third inning, if you will. He got the last out of the six, three up. He struck out the side in the seventh, right? And then came back out for the eighth, and it looked like they were trying to steal a couple more outs at the bottom of the order from him. I'm sure if John Schneider could do it again, maybe he would just have Swanson go out to start the eighth inning uh, rather than bringing him in in that situation. But, uh, you know, sometimes it happens. Uh, what happened last night, the two-run double, does not diminish in any way my confidence in Eric Swanson. He's been great. And I think they got a really good reliever who can get high leverage outs for them in big games all season long. I, I think the back of the pen, if you're talking about, say, Romano, Swanson, Jimmy Garcia, Tim Meza, I guess that would be your core four, really, yeah. in terms of getting high leverage outs. I think it's good. It, it's, uh, hey, Andrew. <laughs> uh, sorry, Andrew Tindish just walked by me, one of the uh, front <laughs> office people for the Blue Jays. This is live radio at its best right here. Um, Put them on. We got so some I, questions, Dan. That, <laughs> Um, I think it's good. Is it the best in baseball? No, but uh, I think it's better. And even more than, uh, I mean, Swanson strengthens the, you know, the, the top half or the back end, if you will, of the, of the bullpen. I, I think what's even better is they've raised the floor of the bullpen. Um, and, and part of that is Trevor Richards raising his game, but, but guys, you know, their sixth, seventh and eighth relievers this year, I think are better than their sixth, seventh and eighth relievers from last year. I think there are fewer times where they're putting guys into situations that are not really capable of, of handling. And again, with Simber and Pop and White, you know, some decisions are going to have to be made, but I, I think they're dealing with a bit of a position of strength right now in terms of numbers. And a guy that I, um, I know I'm going to be keeping an eye on more in a couple of months, but it's Chad Green, who had some great years for the Yankees and not necessarily as an eighth inning guy. You know, maybe he's more that middle of the game, fifth, sixth inning, get you three to six outs, but he's a Blue Jay coming mm. back from Tommy John, and they're hoping he'll be ready second half of the season as well. So I, I think the bold plan is in good shape, and the good news is if you need to go get a reliever at the deadline, that's the easiest thing to go get. Like going to get a starting pitcher is very hard and very expensive. Going to get a reliever is easier than that. Going to get a position player is easier than that. So um, I, I think they're in pretty good shape. Like they're, they're, uh, I know the losses really frustrate people. But they're, you know, 21 and 15, having played more road games than any team in baseball and having played a more difficult schedule, much more difficult schedule than Tampa Bay and Baltimore have played. But um, the next five, six weeks are big. Um, Atlanta, New York, Baltimore on the homestand, then Tampa Bay, Minnesota on the next trip. 
it's uh, we're going to learn a lot in the next three weeks or so about this game. Yeah, it's been one of the great starts in Blue Jays history, and I, I think what makes it not necessarily feel that great is just what's happening with the Tampa Bay Rays and, and the chase position right. they're in with the <laughs> Orioles also playing really, really well. It'll be Gosman for the Blue Jays and Wheeler for the Phillies uh, as the Phillies and Blue Jays conclude their series uh, today. Dan, t- thank you for taking the time this morning, and congratulations to the family. Uh, ben last night was uh, very, very good, so uh, oh, uh, congratulations there. It was, it was pretty cool here him on the on the broadcast last night thank you I, I didn't get a chance to hear him obviously and and there were all those crazy plays with was it a pitch clock violation or this like there was some weirdness going on so i was trying to text him every now and again and say i think it's this but i'm not <laughs> sure you know because he's back there but uh i'm very proud of him and uh he's very he's very appreciative of how uh you know supportive and helpful everybody at the fan has been as uh, as he's done this and uh i know he's got ben nicholson smith with him today for the afternoon game so he's excited about that but i appreciate that yeah, it was very, very, very cool. Uh, again, thanks for the time, and uh, have a great call today. All right. Thanks. See you guys. That's Dan Schulman, Sportsnet's Blue Jays play-by-play announcer. Shall we get to the Wake and Rake? Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. We're going to have to keep the uh, betting in mind next time I think Alec Manoa is on the bump because... Mm. There's a little pattern forming where it's like, yeah, you can get through the first couple innings, but if the slider's not mm, on, I like this. It might be time to just jump in next time he goes through the batting order because it seems like he can like manage for a bit and then it all kind of kind of kind of goes uh it, it crumbles. It not, crumbles not the to, Blue Jays. Not to pump your tires too much, but you're a good in-game and season better. You tip me to bet mm. Robbie Ray right as uh, Garrett Cole uh, wow. nearly blew out his leg uh, late in the season. I jumped all over that. And then you were the one who jumped on Austin Matthews to win the Rocket in his 60-goal season when he got off to a slow start. So, in-season in-game betting, that's your forte, pal. Uh yeah, in-season awards is is definitely more specific. Hey, you're talking my to a niche. guy who bet the McDavid to win the rocket in July of last year. So I, I love it too. I also had one of those, but like, I think the, e- I think the easiest one now that we're doing this, yep. uh, Jack Adams is the, if you don't make money on the Jack Adams, yep. it's your fault. Oh, in my I opinion. The, mar- the market, the market doesn't go anywhere You're for a, a long time. Yeah. You had, you had all, you had months to bet on Jim Montgomery. Yeah. Sorry. Months. I actually did do a $5 sprinkle on Cassidy as well and then cashed out when his team was looking good. So I somehow am going to hit coach of the year twice. Awesome. You you have to do it. You have to do it. And we got to hit our wake and rake this week eventually because I think we're two or three both... Me and you are doing uh, our jobs. And we're the hardcore. We're dominating the hardcore. Uh, I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to start with the Oilers in regulation, bounce back, even the series. I, I just... It has to happen. I expect it. And if they're going to do it, I, I I don't expect them to do it in overtime. I think they, they really, really respond here, get things done, hold serve to a certain extent at uh, Rogers' place and uh, cash a minus 115 ticket for us. Um, Leafs, they're not going to win by a little. They're going to win by a lot. Wow. So give me a goal and a half plus 185 you get okay. for that. Okay, yeah. we're, getting, we're getting aggressive here for sure. Let's go to the anchor selections. Uh, Ron and Juliana off to the airport this morning. Lucky them. Uh, We got an Edmonton over six and a half. And Jules, of course, Warriors six and a half to respond in their series. And uh, Joe Neuendijk's silky smooth hands likes Florida on the money line. So we're going to have to disregard that. Edmonton over. Go back to the well. They're not going to let us down twice, are they? We, uh, I mean, the over is... The overs are pick for yeah. sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. We do have one more for the Oilers in regulation tonight. That's Corey from Port Hope. So let's let's lock it in. The over in the Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights. That means we have to count on 
the Golden Knights getting some uh, um, scoring some goals tonight. Uh, but we'll do that. We we uh, believe. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen who plays goal for the Oilers. Well, that could happen. We believe enough in that happening. And I'm just trying to put together the parlay here for everyone. Minus one or plus 185 on the Leafs. And my pick being the Oilers in regulation. Sorry, I'm having to go to different tabs here. It's a juicy, <laughs> juicy, juicy, juicy. Plus 650. Plus 650. Jump on that. Your uh, your plus money definitely helping us out there. Quickly, are we talking Leafs game five tomorrow or season ending? I say I just gave you my pick. They will win tonight. Uh, well, I will be playing the wake and rake anyway, but I, <laughs> it's not even a <laughs> happiness hedge. I kind of have the feeling it's over. Gunner. Okay. I kind of have the feeling it's over. I mean, we've been, we've been waiting for this team to respond to adversity. What for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And this is a massive, massive moment of adversity. And I feel like it might be too much o- too over to come, but either way, we'll have a brilliant show for you tomorrow. We'll be either breaking down a win that extends their playoff lives or a loss. That means we are, uh, We're talking about eulogy once again. We will do that tomorrow on a baby Friday. We will chat to you then. Chat with you then, rather. Um, I'm sorry. I missed the beginning part of your question. I was thinking about it.